Welcome to Cooking the Books, the food and hospitality podcast discussing all aspects of the industry. We interview chefs, butchers, brewers, winemakers, restaurateurs, restaurant managers, and we talk about how they got to this point, through the good times and the bad, and what they've got planned for the future. This is Cooking the Books. This week on the podcast, we had Glenn Flood. This is a different one. Glenn was a chef for a lot of years, and then he went on to um, work for Jamie Oliver in, at the 15 in Melbourne. And then from there, he he's, he got into food media and worked for worked for MasterChef and, and uh, organising all the challenges and things like that. It's super interesting. And now he's gone on to be a, a motivational speaker or and, and just a, basically a, a, he helps develop chefs and um, sets up online courses and just trying to get the best out of people, really. It's, a, it's, it's different that, something different that we've, that we've done so far, a different part of the industry that I didn't really know anything about. So, yeah, I hope you find this interesting. Now, over to the show. Glenn, thank you very much for your time. I'm I'm super excited because you're a lot different to. Um, we've had a lot of chefs on who were on the tools, and you were you've been on the tools, and you've been in the media side, which we're going to get into. So I'm really excited to speak to you about this. Uh, likewise, Robbie, thanks for having me along. So what is it exactly you, you would you say you do right now? What would you say your job title, role is, whatever? What I do right now, Robbie, is I consider myself a coach. So I coach and mentor individuals to be the best version of themselves. But what I bring is over 25 years of hospitality. So if you will, a hospitality lens across to the coaching that I do. Yeah, okay. And so is that like a self-employed role? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's a freelance consulting type role. So yeah. I'll work with uh, multi-site operators or individuals that are looking to grow their business or develop themselves. And how do you find clients? Clients actually find me, oh, which that? is really good. I've been fortunate to be in the game for a long time, so I've got a really strong network, and one conversation leads to another, and it just seems to flow. And literally, people. So there'll be what will it be like? A, a food and beverage manager, a hotel, will say, "Look, we're struggling with the kitchen team; we, they're not gelling or something. Can you come along and speak to the executive Ab- chef, or what? I don't know. Just give us a scenario." Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, food and beverage managers, you know, that's spot on, especially if they're working across multiple sites, yeah. because there's a lot in the impact and influence space that I think is really hard, and it's a, a impact gap. and influence space. What's that? So, if you're um, say stepped into a role, so I'm going to use the analogy now of a sous chef stepping into a head chef role, yeah. And um, there's not really any formal training around it. So you've, you've cut your teeth at a sous chef role. Um, you, you, you're down on the tools. You're making things move. Then all of a sudden you get a head chef role. And there's, there's that gap of knowledge that I think is around leadership, communication, getting the best out of your team. It might be through to understanding a P&L and the financial literacy that goes behind it. Um, so in that space, there's a lot of impact and influence that you as a head chef need to have on your team. Plus you need to, uh, meet the business expectations. So understand what the business and the owners want, understand what the customers want, but more importantly, guide your chef team to execute and deliver. Yeah. Fuck. It sounds, it, when you're in it as a chef, 
you kind of know all that, but to say it is, is quite difficult. Do you know what I mean? Like to hear it back to you or to hear it, you're like, oh yeah, it's not as easy as it sounds. Oh, there's, uh, there's a whole raft of things happening behind the scenes. And that's, I guess, what I'd identified is that there's no really great leadership training. There's no real great leadership training yeah. for chefs. And so I'm all about people. I really like to see people thrive and excel. And if my messaging and some of the programs I've developed can assist, then that's that's a win for me and a win for them. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree. I totally agree on all that. I'm I'm fascinated how like a, like you said a multi-million billion sometimes operations in some hotels. I'm saying as as a whole group, but definitely multi-million dollar restaurants and, and and caterers and these kind of things just will literally promote a guy who has got no business knowledge you know like all them things that you just said and just expect them to know and then like when they don't hit gp or the you know the overspend or the the wage cost is too high then they're like it's just a meeting in a, in a big circle red circle saying your gp's three percent out yeah, absolutely what have you why is that and you're like well I don't know. I don't. I don't know because literally, I know how to cook the food or whatever. I know a little bit of, you know, my, the proteins five bucks and the garnish is three bucks and I times it by three and there's that's what we do. do. You know, and it's literally that's how I got trained. Times it by three or times it by four. It changed over the years and that's how you work out your costings. And if that isn't that isn't enough really. Do you know what I mean? So you, that, yeah, that's all I'm saying. It's, it's a it's a to get that opportunity to learn and business is just to expect people to be able to do that. It's a, it's a mistake. Absolutely, and you get to the place where you know you, you realize you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So this is the the gap in the equation. And then how do you seek that information out? And and you know the, the traditional um, way is that you either. Um, absorb from those around you so if you've got some great coaches and mentors and work with some great chefs that that are happy to pass knowledge on that's great so you mold in their likeness similar that you would learn a recipe from a chef that you've worked with and then tweak it a little bit and make it your own the same with your management techniques you will learn or assimilate from those you work with and then fine-tune it and make it your own so that might be great if you're um, you've got a really patient and a, 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 a a, div- a chef that is keen to develop your skill it might be different if you worked under the likes of a Gordon Ramsay's that you know he's just maybe ruling from the top of the tree and going really hard yeah um, and that's just a generalization but you know that's the public persona of what he does yeah uh, I know you know quite realistically that he's got a core team that have been with him a long time yeah um, but on the outset it might be you know young people don't want to learn from someone that's going to going to yell and might berate them because they're, they're nervous and they're you know they're concerned in a pressure cooker environment yeah yeah it's it is interesting I, it, I wish there was I think I wish there was something more for I always go on about this about chefs the exit strategy of a chef at 40 years old or whatever whatever age there might be 45 whatever it might be you just can't do it forever and there's no train I've spoke to Matt Wilkinson about this and there's no training for them after that either like where do you go that you know like you've been in a kitchen all your life but if you at least if you've got management skills you can they can be moved on like but not just know them internally but you've been trained so then you you know you've got the skills does that do you know what i mean like even confidence wise well it's the translatable skills yeah translatable right? skills. So, see that's what i mean you're way better at delivering it than i am yeah <laughs> translatable skills exactly yeah, yeah and knowing that you've got them as well and give it and backing yourself to utilize them yeah so you know i think that any any chef that's put themselves through a formal apprenticeship um when you circle back over say you know 10 years or 15 years of expertise you can 
work in a team, a really fast-paced dynamic team, you can handle pressure, you can multitask, you can delegate, um, you can understand customer requirements. So there's some really fundamental skills there that if you hone in and polish them and acknowledge them, that you could take into any other field. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Interesting. You also um, worked in food media. Is that right? Yeah. What, yeah. what, is, what is food media? Food media, broad sense. So I was fortunate to be involved in a range of different realms and, and probably the first, the first opportunity I had in food media was with uh, Jamie Oliver and Toby Puddock when we opened 15 Melbourne in 2006. Mm. And to go from I was running a catering company at the moment, uh, sorry, I was running a catering company at the time, yeah. um, team of around 25 staff and just looking for a change and something hit my radar um, that was this training and development role with 15 Melbourne. And how yeah. old are you at this point? So I would have been just shy of 30. Oh, so been cooking for like 10 then. years. Oh, yeah, yeah, 10 years, 10 years plus, probably more around the 12, 13 year mark. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, knew, knew enough, worked up to a level of exec sous chef, um, then took over as head chef of a catering company. I'd done Michelin star overseas uh, yeah. in the UK for a couple of years. London? Um, in Bristol, oh, actually. Bristol, yeah. Yep, yep. Harvey's Restaurant in Bristol. Okay. Um, my chef there, Daniel Galmiche, um, he's a fantastic French boy and good friends with Heston, Gordon, and it's a, it's a very different uh, community over there. So I got a chance to, to eat at Heston's restaurant when he was just a one star. He was yeah, just far out. on the move, on the up yeah, and up. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was a, a real game changer in my career and the quality and the approach and attention to detail and the professionalism the that professionalism I think the sure. Europeans really bring. Um, and you know, any chefs that have worked in a European kitchen will understand that mentality. Mm. Um, so to, to bring those learnings forward here back in Australia, I was working with a company. We were doing a lot of corporate work, so um, some some uh, corporate boardrooms, uh, open air events, and very diverse and the business sense of things. Um, but the role having twenty or so um, employees, all different nationalities, which is fairly standard in the kitchen, you need to speak a range of different languages yeah, um, to get things moving. And the role came up as this training development chef and I, I went and met with Toby and the team and it felt right. It felt like I wanted to give back a little bit to apprentices. So I almost fell into the role and they were right in filming at the stage. So Jamie's Kitchen Australia and, um, you know, that went on to be a really good hit series at the time. I think it viewing audience was 1.6 to 2 million per episode. Yeah. And Jamie's still a big draw card. Um, and to give, I guess, young people an opportunity and that... That, for me, in my career, was really challenging but really rewarding. Um, working with a, a, a really interesting group of young kids on, on their, their mental state and how they're approaching tasks and giving them opportunities within hospitality. Were you working uh, like on the front line in the kitchen or were you like behind the scenes organising or how, how did it work? Yeah, a bit of both. So okay. the training development role was we had a, a full team of um, chefs in the kitchen we would buddy up all the apprentices. Yeah, um, I watched so the first, I watched the first season in England back awesome. in the day. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, sorry, I just threw that out there. No, that's just okay. Throw you off the track <laughs> a bit. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, so bu buddy up all the apprentices. A yeah. lot of one-on-one -on -one training with them, and then with that program, we were effectively training first-year apprentices. Yeah. And with the program that I'd put together with the help of the guys in the UK, we had fifty separate training events happening through the year on top of just the day-to-day -day in the kitchen. It was massive. Yeah, it was yeah. ma very supportive, um, very engaging, and uh, you know, 
dealing with suppliers that would be out we'd be out picking olives and then crushing olive oil um we got a chance to make our own vintage uh with with some grapes with the, the legendary dan sims um we'd go out to a, a, a free-range pork farm and sort of you know meet the pigs the piglets have a look digging up potatoes things like that are you organizing this yeah yeah okay. yeah bring it together and then looking at the the touch points behind it. So making sure that there was a, a nice strategy that really engaged our young people because the, the young guys we had yeah, yeah, um, just wouldn't learn in conventional yeah. methods. So Like more chefs, to be honest. Uh, absolutely, like most people, yeah, to be, yeah. <laughs> to be yeah, perfectly yeah. honest. Fair enough, um, yeah. And yeah, we had some really good successes there. You know, it, it, it was tough, but that, um, I guess, really uh, opened the doors into this sort of food media realm. And um, yeah, then I, I went on from there to, to work with some, some, some great food shows, um, supported Gary Megan back in the day with Good Chef, Bad Chef. And oh, yeah. then, yeah, I mean. From that, so you're working at 15 and then left there and got on to the, doing other yeah, things? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, just broadened the network. Yeah. So okay. it put me in touch with a lot of different people. I was with the team there at 15 for around three years. And a good where we were placing a lot of our apprentices into top restaurants and great chefs that after one to year after a year yes yeah so it yeah. was just a year program work we, placement we got work one experience. Max I don't know if you know him Max Maxie, maybe in generation three generation oh, yeah, four yeah maybe yeah 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 yeah, yeah. he come and worked with the Rockpool he's what? now he's now working at a one star or a two star in. Um, I think in America or Canada. Fantastic. Yeah. And these are these are great stories for us. Yeah. It's like, you know, cutting your teeth and there's the opportunity. What the young person or, you know, whoever chooses to do with it, that's up to them. But you can definitely create pathways. Mm. So So anyway, so you so you were putting the apprentice in there and getting a bit of a network with all the different Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Because they were very open, like Neil Perry, you know, we we're happy to have a chat. Look, Glenn, really happy to support the project. And through that grew my network. Um, which then other opportunities hit the radar and I'd left um, 15 and set up my own uh, studio kitchen, raw materials down in Footscray. And uh, it was a warehouse space that we used to do filming, product launches, cooking demonstrations, cooking classes and so forth. How did that go? That was awesome. Yeah, to go from the the market of, I I think, being um, like a pop-up inside a warehouse wasn't really uh, prolific at the time. So we were just cutting our our teeth and Footscray wasn't the hub you know, food hub that it is now. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of corporate team building there, which I really liked. So introducing um, high-end corporates like KPMG down there, getting hands-on with food, cooking classes and working team building events, which was really interesting because sometimes it allows the um, the people in the office environment that aren't necessarily the leaders in the office environment to actually shine in a different way. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They might not even. Yeah, there might be like nobody in the office. Maybe do you know what I mean? And then they come there and, and they're helping all the people above them or yeah, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've yeah, got in a different environment. You've got maybe the the the, the front admin person yeah. that uh, does the cooking at home suddenly stepping next to the CEO and saying, "Let me show you how to do this." On yeah, the beautiful. Here. So beautiful. some beautiful team dynamics yeah, and, yeah. and really well well uh, well supported. So so love doing that. And then through. I guess some of the filming we were doing down there in the product launches, it's we had from Curtis Stone to Gary, um, yeah, Gary Megan, um, Georgie Columbaris, um, just just a raft of great operators coming down, doing different things in a creative space. Yeah, like a like a um, art gallery for chefs kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I Absolutely. always see them art things, and it's very like it's such a creative space. I'm like, oh, this is nice. But imagine that for like a chef, yeah. Yeah. So how long did that run for? So I was there for three years, um, taking it almost from a concept 
to market. And that was with a, a, a great food uh, importer and exporter um, that I know, uh, Andrew Gray. And there was a point, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a, it was a I guess a subsidiary of his business. So um, we'd have pallet loads of beautiful olives and olive oils and produce coming over from from Spain, and then I'd be showcasing it in the kitchen. Meanwhile, running these events. Right. Okay. So yeah, I get it. I get it. So a nice little hybrid because I'm all about collaboration. So when yeah, you've got yeah. the right people around, you can really innovate and try things a bit differently. And um, was it busy? Were you doing well out of it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. Absolutely. It was flying. Um, to go from, I guess, um, working in a kitchen or working for someone else in a training capacity to suddenly running your own business. And Robbie, you might be able to relate. You're everything. You're, yeah, yeah. you're the marketing guy. You're the sales guy. You're following up. You're executing. You're tidying down. I'm washing my own dishes. I'm doing all my own mise en place as well. Yeah. And just to see what will the market take? What do I like to do? And where's the good return? And not necessarily always, not always return on investment, the return on energy. Yeah. Because I think if you, if you like something and enjoy it and it lights you up, then you'll give it your A game and you'll make it work yeah, as yeah. opposed to I'm just doing this for the money because hospitality is a hard enough game to be in to make money out of if you're not passionate about it. Oh, you'll fizzle out for sure. Absolutely. Did you, um, did you have any formal training when you were at 15? Did they give you anything, you know, because you're dealing with, I don't know, I didn't watch Australia when I was actually in Australia at the time, but you're dealing with kids with maybe some sensitive issues or whatever it might be. Did you get any, like, any coaching at all in that way? Or, and then the skill, or was it just basically monitoring, seeing how they did it, learning on the job, and then taking them skills away? Yeah, look, a great question. I was probably a little bit naive. So I just, I like to bring a lot of energy to what I do. So I just threw myself 100% into it. I didn't have any formal training to deal with the the emotional um, drain on on working with a group of 20, 20 young people from a variety of crazy backgrounds. Mm. And more would happen to these these young guys in a week than I would wish on anyone in a yeah, lifetime. Yeah, 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 it was just sure. this constant sort of cycle that they were on. And, and we were really tasked with trying to break that cycle create some opportunities and take take young people from potentially a bleak future and no major aspirations into, you know, good um, team build, take them into um, a great environment where they, where they could really thrive. So yeah. learn some skills. It's a global industry. You could go anywhere with it. You could travel, but learn some fundamentals as a first year, which is all about teamwork, all about setting up a station how to present respect. yourself properly, respect, communication. Yeah. It's just phase one of, I think, a young person stepping into a workplace. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things about martial arts as well, which I really love as well. Same kind of thing, the same as like, you know, respect and, and being listening to the leader and, and you, you know what I mean? Just cutting your teeth a little bit and, and, and getting them in line. Do you know what I mean? There's a discipline to discipline. it. Absolutely, fucking Robbie. discipline. Fuck's yeah. sake, you keep fucking getting all the words and I, <laughs> I keep bumbling on and you keep pulling out all those single words to fucking save me. I'll live like twice as long if I could fucking speak like you. Hilarious, hilarious. hilarious. Um, you also, well, that was Channel, was that Channel 10? Am I right? Uh, so, was? yes. Yes, uh, Cracker Jack Media back in the day yeah. and Fremantle, I believe. Yeah, and then you went on to work on MasterChef. Yeah. So, how, how was that? Uh, look, you know, what a, what a, what a mind-blowing experience. Yeah, it's uh, huge still, here, Matt, cause a lot of our listeners are, are in England as well. But MasterChef here, which MasterChef in England doesn't really have the respect that it has in Australia. It's huge here. It's uh, I just think the program was really, really well put together. And um, so, so the, the story goes a little bit like this, if I can share. Yeah, 100%. Um, cool. 
I get a phone call. It was with uh, a TAFE that I was doing some work with, a little bit of sessional teaching. They've said, Glenn, we've got this really odd request. Well, we don't really know much about it, but it sounded left field, so we thought of you. Um, are you available? Help us for a couple of days. I said, look, no worries. Let me clear the schedule and, and went out. And what it turned into is we were filming, we were filming pilots for the judges. So it was the judge recruitment for MasterChef. Is it, so they, was it running at all or not? This is day one, day dot. They, this is, yeah, this is before right, it okay. started yeah, the series. Yeah, so the audition process I was involved in, um, almost, you know, auditioning all the top chefs in the country for the role that we ended up landing on Gary, George and Matt. Were you behind the desk in, in that? A bit I, like I, X Factor style or whatever I, I, it is? Absolutely I was. I was, Big I was red the mock, button. I was the mock contestant. <laughs> So, oh, yeah. yeah, they were strolling in going, what are you doing here? And I said, what do you mean? What, what's going on? I'm just cooking. Talk to me. So it was, it was about how they would engage me as a contestant, um, the language they used, the supportive n- nature of it, um, and the dynamic of the judges. The three of so, them, yeah. yeah we're like just, top gear, isn't it? You know, the, 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 oh, very much so. Yeah. Well, the dyna- dynamic's everything. And, yeah. you know, we're at a stage now, we're heading into season, uh, is it season 11, where they're new, new, new they're three. going they've to mix it up. Them. They've just named oh, have them they? today. I think they've just no named way. them today. They have. Yeah. So it's, it's going to mix it up and it's going to change things a little bit. But the dynamic that we landed on to run for 11 years, phenomenal. And, and I think a lot of it was around the, um, the relationship of the chef and apprentice with Gary and George that really yeah. grounded things because you speak a similar language when you've spent that period of time together. Who was your favourite? Um, oh, sort of favourites out there. Jeez. Um, I, I, I still get on really, really well with Gary. Yeah, Probably run into him the most. He, he's just that... Uh, he, in, in a mental capacity, I just I like the way he communicates. He grounds things. Yeah. Um, each of the boys brings something different in. I love George's energy. I love Matt Preston's food memory recall um, that he can dial back in and something, a flavor takes him back to 27 years ago when he was on the beach somewhere consuming something. Yeah. And he can just go straight back there and I love that about him. But uh, yeah, yeah, Gary just seems to always... Um, be keen and interested to mentor the next person that really resonates well with me do you think that the um a new lineup is going to freshen things do you think it was time for them to move on yeah from a tv production point of view um uh, the the reports are that the the you know the ratings have been sort of you know just scaling backwards a little bit it's more competitive but we think back 10 11 years ago Food media in Australia was almost non-existent. So what MasterChef did is completely change the landscape of the way consumers engage with food. Yeah. And that's uh, prolific in the supermarkets and what they do now. Marketing companies, um, SBS are doing some of the most credible um, food media uh, programs running at the moment. It's SBS beautiful. Grassroots, really yeah. great. That didn't exist. There was no budget for it. There was, no one was attuned. The, vid- the viewing audience weren't there. So... Uh, MasterChef Australia just hit things at a pivotal time where it just opened it up. And, and what I'm most excited about is, and apart from being involved with them for, for a good couple of series as food producing and um, even junior MasterChef, is that the, the ability there to impact and change an industry now creates opportunities for chefs or people that have an interest in food. There's all these sub-markets that didn't exist a decade ago. Yeah. You can earn a living from if you're so inclined. Yeah, this is yeah, before yeah. influencers were a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's there's marketing budgets that are open, and and you know you can make a really good career out of it, outside of just working 50, 60, 70 hours in a kitchen. Which is which is a huge bit of advice, really. You know, like, like exactly that. There's many ways now. There's many many ways to 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 
use your skills. It, it, it doesn't have to be in the restaurant. There's many different opportunities. Absolutely, Robbie. I mean, look at what you're doing now. You know, you, you've, t- you've taken a, an art form with, the, with um, your charcuterie and your terrines and so forth, things that you love, and you're just specialising in it, but created a sustainable business out of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which anyone can do. Literally, anyone so, can do it's it. It's a learn. Cooking's a learn skill. <laughs> Definitely. And the, um, regarding the, 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 the numbers declining, there's a lot to be said for that. There's Netflix, there's Stan, there's so many food shows Absolutely. on Netflix. You know, I think it's a big market out there now than it was 10 years ago with even just them subscription channels. What do you think about the way contestants are set up to fail? On, on MasterChef? On MasterChef. Because I see, uh, this is what I don't like about the show. Mm-hmm. I like the, the theory about the show. I like the way it brings attention. It shows, I hate the way Cole support it, or is it Cole? That, that mm-hmm. fucking drives me mad. But um, I like a lot of the aspects. There's a lot of it that, that, I do in, that I do like. I don't really watch it that much, to be honest, but there's a lot of it that I do like. I like the theory and the way that it brings the whole level and the, the, the awareness and all these kind of things. I love all that. But, the reason, one of the reasons I don't watch it is because they put them in positions that professional chefs who've been doing it for 20 years wouldn't be able to go down. And it's almost like the TV is the laughing at them going and getting in the shit. And that isn't funny for me. So I don't, you know, do you, what's your thought on that? Yeah, look, when, so, so being involved in the early days, and I, I know how, how you say there, you don't watch it a hell of a lot. It's a massive commitment for TV. Um, you know, back when I was with the team on series three and it was running six nights a week yeah. and I, I, I'm lucky if I can fit in six days in six months yeah, <laughs> in yeah, terms yeah. of TV. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a massive amount of the population that do engage with it and, um, you know, food is very emotive. So I think that's from a viewing point of view, that's how it comes together. Um, my thoughts on, just refresh me again. The, the fact that the set them oh, up set to up the fail. Yeah. yeah, that's what I don't like. Yeah. That's, a, that's my yeah. biggest gripe and my biggest sticking point for it is that, the, that it, it's almost like watch, watch us set these people up, watch them not be able to do it, mm. watch us shout at them, let, watch them feel the pressure and then like, and, and like, it's just like a big shit fight. Like that isn't, that isn't positive for me. So, so I think the important, the really important thing to remember is it is first and foremost reality TV. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But Where it started to strike a chord is because you have this emotive connection with food. So all of a sudden it's a lot more marketable because you can get big shopping um, or sort of big supermarkets behind it. So there's more endorsements, advertising and so forth. But in pure reality TV world, you liken it to it could be a survivor, could be Big Brother, um, The Block, you know, MasterChef. It is reality TV. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. So to see for a viewer to watch someone that looks like they're going to fail, going to fail, then they might succeed, takes them on an emotional journey in a short period of time. But they're not going to – like I seen one the other, a few years ago where they're outside um, – South Melbourne Market, there was like freaking three and a half thousand people or something lined Crazy. up. And they had, they had nothing. They had to, they had, from scratch, and then they had to make, like, you just couldn't do it. You just couldn't do it. And it just, what does it say to us as a society that find that that's entertainment, watching someone else struggle? I think it's, I think it would be way better if we watched, made it a bit more, a bit not easier, but more fucking realistic and watch them thrive. And show them, you know what I mean? Like, at yeah, least show it a bit it's more. A, it's a good comment. I mean, I, I like to see guys succeed. Uh, when I was uh, involved with Junior MasterChef, I mean, this was all about training and nurturing young kids to see what they could put forward on the plate in a, in a, in a just enough pressure to allow them to succeed, 
But I think the viewing audience, I mean, I know definitely with me, I like to see people succeed. Yeah. I so I, I don't watch, you know, other shows that are, that are, you know, people ripping each other apart and stuff. It just doesn't, that doesn't land well with me as a viewing audience. Exactly. And where, what's that saying for us as, a, as, a, as one community? Yeah. Like, why are we promoting this kind of thing? That's my view. It's, like, it's the drama. Yeah, but let's, like, yeah, but we, yeah. it's no good. It's no good. It's in my view. Just that's my opinion. I think it would be better to make it a bit more, not e- like I say again, not easier, but just so at least difficult, but at least a couple of them can actually succeed. Like, you know what I mean? And make it a bit like, I don't believe, I'm a big strong believer in don't do something that, if you can't do it yourself, don't be expecting other people to do it. And they couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. The, yeah, there's the definitely about- some challenges that, you know, I looked at and I've set before. And, uh, you know, when I was running the test kitchen down there, we would make sure that, Anything we put through, we'd already tested it, you know, a dozen times. That plus. it's possible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's how we, that's how we would set the time frames, the challenges, know the pitfalls, and everything. Because um, you know, I, I guess like you, I, I like to see people Definitely. succeed. So I want to happy to let them jump through a few hoops. But ultimately, you want to come out with a bit of success, which is really self fulfilling. And for an individual can take some value on board and go, you know what? I've got now confidence to Definitely. take that forward with whatever I choose to do. I agree. What are some of the ins and outs of it then behind the scenes? Like how do you how do you um, come up with the challenges and how do you how do you organise them kind of thing? Oh, there's a phenomenal production team yeah. behind it. So what so, what is a production team? Yeah, so you've so you've got your exec producer and your producer, so a team that might be sort of between five and seven people that will think around the strategy, what's been done before, what could be different this year, um, specific challenge producers that are do the offsites. So, you know, where are we going to go and, and how are we going to film out there? Um, how's it going to come across on camera? Um, what do we need to set up so that it's on brand? Um, you know, what's, uh, what food do we need and where do we pop it up? So if you're cooking on a beach, for example, I mean, you've done open air events before. Yeah, yeah. Um, refrigeration, logistics, power, generators, uh, lighting, then you're running with elements. What if it rains? Is there a backup? Um, all these things need to be considered before you go to an environment. And then the, the audio is a massive one, right? You live in the podcast wind, wind, world. Yeah, windy oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we filmed up in Sydney, uh, we were in the flight path. So <laughs> we would actually be sort of mid-challenge and it would be just hold for a second, plane would run over and <laughs> then we go again. So, um, you know, I guess it's the magic of TV. You've got really great professionals in the field that are, that are passionate about their food, passionate about getting a really good product um, in terms of the, uh, the whole series coming together. And they will think and spend countless hours working through every episode to make sure that it's giving the best and allowing the characters a chance to come forward and connect with the viewing audience. And at what point does it get passed on to you? You know, they come, they come up with the idea, we're going to go here or whatever it might be on this week, we're going to do, we want some sort of challenge in this block. Yeah. Is, is that where, and then they come to you, this is, we want some sort of challenge or we need chicken or what, we've got a promotion of this or what, how does it work? Yeah, so as a food producer, um, the you'd be involved with the high level strategy. So so thinking it's So you're uh, going in them big meetings, oh, are you? Absolutely. So, so it might be, um, you know, at best a month or two in advance as things come a little bit tighter, it might be a couple of weeks. So they've always got this malleable impact because you're not filming real time. Yeah, but yeah. Um, as it goes to air, you know, time's ticking and it's still got to get edited and so forth. Um, so it might be, say, a month in advance, you've got an idea, but it takes a little while to flesh it all out and go, great, if we need a few pallets of snails, for example, well, who's got those? What's the story behind it? Meet the producers. And that's what I loved. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're making a lot of phone calls. And because of the, I guess, the nature of the brand of MasterChef is that um, people want to deal with you. 
So yeah, you're, yeah, you're making the call brand. and they're yeah, saying, yeah. hey, great, how can we get involved? What else can we do? Yeah. And for me, as a chef, it was just, uh, you know, like one of the highlights in my career because you're not only dealing with top chefs internationally that want to work with you, but then you're dealing with uh, the great producers in our, in our fine country that want to showcase their product. So when you match those two things together, I think it resonates well with the viewing public. Yeah. I would like to see more of that um, small producer than, than Coles and that, to be totally honest with you. And I know it's all about money and marketing and all the rest of it, but it'd be nice to have a bit more support to the lo- the small guy, in my opinion. Oh, there could be a nice little spin-off. You know, I can see your mind yeah. ticking there. Where it's just, it's, it's smaller, it's grassroots. Well, that's where it all started, no, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I just think we need to go back to that. Like, yeah. you know, like... It's not always about making the huge dollars. You can still make the dollars on the advertisement on the other, on the other ends, but there's also room for to be supporting the small guy. Oh, look, and in the industry sense of things, I was just involved with Nestle and the Golden Chefs had awards, and, and I've done a lot of other cook-offs, and it's the same. To me, it's the same sort of thing. You're going through this, um, here's the mystery box of ingredient, who are the suppliers behind it, are they passionate to support the event and you're giving opportunities for young apprentices. So that's, it's that kind of analogy and things that I've done. It was, it's just blown up on a bigger scale because you, like you said, there's, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of marketing budgets and uh, people want in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How many people would be in your team? Uh, in the food team? Yeah. Five of us. Five. Yeah, five. So touching every single piece of food that ran through the series, uh, pantry setups, um, through to mystery box ingredients, um, everything for all the all the guest chefs that will come on board, making sure that you've tested all their recipes and so forth. And then after the contestants cook, reverse engineering and making sure that their um, recipes were succinct to go out to then different media publications. Okay, good food magazines yeah. or whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. okay. the, the contestants, you know, ultimately they're putting together a phenomenal dish, um, but it's just one dish. So yeah. looking at, is, is it replicable? Is the language correct for at home? Because they might just be cooking, and I don't know if you've done this before, where you're just free-flow cooking yeah, exactly. straight from your mind after the fact. How'd you make it taste so good? Well, well you, you've neglected the fact that you, you, know, you deglazed the pan at a particular time, you dropped a bit of um, extra fresh herb in, you seasoned at a different moment. Because these things you're doing in the moment, you don't always appreciate and break Intuitively, it down. Intuitively, isn't it? You do, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. So to break it down and even to put that in a, in a recipe card or a cookbook is so you're a, a bit there, of work. So you're there, are you? You're, so are you watching? Are you debriefing with them afterwards? Or? It was all filmed. So, so you just yeah, watch? We would just... debrief afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, the, the top winning dishes are selected by judges. Then, you know, I'd send the team in and they'd just get a bit of a real time. What did you do here? I, I noticed you did X and just clarifying the information and we get contestants to write down their recipes too. Yeah. Uh, and then it's just, I guess, softening it down so that it fits well in a, um, in a publication. And then what do you, then you get, you, you process all that and then where, where does, where does that get sent back, to, the back to the sponsorship team? Yeah. And then that will go out to wherever it's going to go. Sponsorship yep. team. On, which is like the marketing team, which is dealing with all the sponsors, like the good Abs- food. Absolutely. And, uh, delicious magazine. Yeah, so and recipes go, go out into different areas. And if it's used a particular sponsor's product, which is a great thing. Yeah. Um, so the stock was grabbed at the right time and that's something we love. Then the, the supplier then goes, well, that's great. We'd love to use this recipe here that's been viewed on TV. It's stocked in a supermarket and so forth. So you get a holistic connection yeah, go fuck. forward. There's a lot going on. Oh, it's all happening. And yeah. where, where, when they're cooking and doing the actual filming, where are you at that point? So at that stage, um, on, on comms, so we used to have 11 cameras running, so with communications in. Oh, you're there though? Watching, you are, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Abs- yeah. Just watching everything and seeing if there's any pitfalls, things we need to be aware of, um, you know, any mishaps, 
So, you know, we want to make sure that first and foremost, all contestants are safe well, but when and the, hygienic. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, really important. And But then just observing as it unfolds. So all the cooking is done real time. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a buzz. Like, like a buzz that you and I might get out of a service. service yeah, yeah. That's what the contestants get out of that real time cook off. All yeah, the preparation yeah. and the planning's done, the, the setup of the event, and then it's just go time. And what about like say the blast chillers? I've seen that before, where the blast chiller goes down. That's a fucking common one, I think. Are you, is that your? Are you like you have to get in touch with the the engineer and get the engine? Is that you know? Is that your responsibility? Uh, it could be could be us. Could be the art department. Oh, so art because that's yeah, art department looks after the physical side of things. Right. Okay. So they might go. Great. Have we got a spare? We got a backup. Yeah. How do you flip it in and out? Because a blast chiller going down in a one hour cook off loses you a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. so the, the best way is to have it all set up first. It's yeah, like doing yeah, live yeah. TV. Yeah. You just get one shot, just get it right. But in a restaurant, isn't that like it's a real scenario? Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in a restaurant, you've got 300 covers up, you know, you get, you know, 100 covers in and something goes a little bit sideways. You just have to adapt and move forward. Mm. That's what you do because the customer is not going to sit there and say, oh, I appreciate your blast chill is broken down. Can I come back tomorrow and finish my uh, meal? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> They're just sitting there going, it's been an extra five minutes. What's going on? Yeah, yeah So sure. you can give them a glass of wine and let them wait for a sec. But ultimately in the kitchen, you need to problem solve very quickly and move forward. Yeah, yeah, turn that into a mousse or something, right? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so the, the the pantry and all the rest of it, yes. are you, is it like just, I think they're sponsored by Coles, right? Yes. Is it Coles? Can you just, do you write the whole list or do they bring stuff or how, do you not like, is the cloves, is the cinnamon, is it, do you know all these kind of things? Do you do you organise all that, what yeah. they need? Oh, look, absolutely. So that, that comes through the food team. So I'd like, um, I'd liken it to, ordering for a function, yeah. if you've got an idea on the challenge is going to be X um, and say the, the protein is going to be, uh, let's just say it's going to be grass-fed beef, that might be a feature ingredient, but then thinking about from a culinary perspective, well, what's everything that's going to run in with that theme as a central? Yeah. So absolutely we'll need maybe a half, a dozen, half a dozen different types of potatoes. We might need some onions, some banana shallots, Mushrooms. definitely some garlic and th- yeah, yeah. things that tie in that make sense. Um, and then some left field ones. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, we would pull together an order list, um, touch base with multiple suppliers. And not just, I mean, Coles were a big one at the time, but they don't have everything. Um, yeah. But their, their range is definitely growing, which I think is fantastic on the back of shows like this. Um, but we'd be outsourcing whatever we could, um, just so that we've... I guess, got a, a really good quality pantry that's visually appealing um, for the viewing. Yeah, because it looks great, doesn't it? Look, you know, it always yeah, looks yeah, great. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. It's, it's everyone's dream. You go into, you know, like down here in Melbourne, you go to South Melbourne Market or go to Paran Market, it is just a kaleidoscope of beautiful colours, textures, flavours. Yeah. Cooking is so sensory. Yeah, for sure. So to capture that on camera and to, to bring it into your lounge room, it, it will inspire people. And does it, just on that question, so you, so that, the spices and all that, it'll all chit. So then if it's chicken, you might get corn and, you know, fennel or whatever. So it'll, you'll, you'll just keep changing it all the time. Yeah. Each thing. It, oh, okay. it, does, it does morph and change. It's not static, you know. Yeah, I, okay. I, I don't know right now, but definitely when I was involved there, we, it, we'd, we'd morph all the time because the, the produce only lasts for so long. Yeah. So you can't have it open air and, you know, your fennel that's great today is going to be fine three days later for a shoot. Yeah. So you've got to flip it in and flip it out. And so we work very closely with Oz Harvest there, making sure that the you know food was being recycled. Yeah, That's yeah. going to the right places. Yeah. And are you that? Is that a, was that a full time job? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it was beyond full time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like full time for the full year, like three sixty five, like four weeks whole yeah, day. Yeah, twelve month contract. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, twelve month contract for me. Yeah. Um, for the team there, at least nine months. 
Um, so it just depends on, on how tight the schedule is and what content they need to pump out. So I would imagine now they're, they're a little bit more streamlined and with the base camp down here in uh, Melbourne at the showgrounds, a yeah. little bit more streamlined, a bit more organised. That um, wasn't there back in the day, was it? Uh, no, it's, well, oh. I think they'd, they'd started a purpose build around it. Yeah, so, okay. um, and, and knowing now that the team are into 11th year, well, yeah. then there's 11 years of Experience. learnings. Yeah, yeah, of Absolutely. And, yeah. the, and the, the team continue to do a great job with, a, with a, a show that's fundamentally changed the way the viewing public think about food. Definitely. Last thing on this, um, what would you be doing before the show? Like, how much planning before, like... Is it because it's a full time job? There's only X amount of times of uh, of shooting. And then it, while it's on, is it is all the shooting finished whilst it's on, or is it like halfway halfway through and then the second half as you're shooting? So, you, so Robbie, do you mean when it's on TV? Yeah, like when, when you're viewing yeah, public's on. Yeah, yep. when it's on TV, is it all done, box finished completely, or is it like you're halfway through filming, so you've got like five weeks and you know a bit yeah. of an overlap? De- kind definitely of a buffer. Definitely a buffer. I so, mean, whilst the first episode's on, you're still filming the last episode. Yeah, it can oh, be. Right, okay. Yeah, which creates a nice little bit of mystery of what's yeah. what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it depends on the production company. You know, definitely when I was working with them, we were we were running live um, on TV and still shooting. And then as we went further into the shoot, the timelines were getting tighter and tighter. So we were shooting and it might be on air within 10 days later. Oh, so shit. you've got that whole edit suite rolling around up until the final, which was shot very, very succinctly in with what we'd see viewing public-wise. Right, okay, um, So, yeah, I think they're a little bit more streamlined now. A um, bit longer, they've got more of a gap, is that yeah, what you mean? Uh, no, I, I believe they're filming a little bit further in advance. Oh, yeah, 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 which yeah is good. I mean. Which yeah, it, yeah. Well, it just takes the pressure off. Definitely. Um, and it, it, you've got to think of your variables in terms of, you know, what's the weather doing here? What's your international chef talent doing? So if you want a Jamie Oliver on, for example... I mean, he, he, he can't be here every five minutes. You've yeah, got to think yeah. about all of the schedules for all your guest chefs. And that's just one example. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got a lot of food shows running here around the country. So, um, you know, over in Western Australia or the Good Food and Wine Show here in Melbourne. Um, so you've got to think about the talent that's around at the time and if you want to bring them into the series. So yeah, yeah. that's the, the producers always working forward to um, who are our guests, what's the message, what's the uh, cook-off going to look like yeah. um, and the messaging behind it. Is there a post uh filming debrief like afterwards it, well is there a party is there like a, a, a you know a final party and then it's a bit of like okay next well you know what a debrief is you know what I mean yeah 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 look absolutely food media is a very freelance realm yeah. so a lot of the producers uh, and the audio guys the director of photography they'll just work contract to contract oh. so they might finish on a master chef and go across to a survivor series or, or so forth and, and bounce around so I fucking love survivor uh, it's probably my favorite in terms of reality TV because if, if you're gonna go grassroots just go go I hard against each other I <laughs> love love Survivor that is one of the shows that I, I don't miss it man I am obsessed with that show it's when really you when you when your mental state and your physical state have deteriorated to a stage then you know true character comes exactly. out <laughs> bit of backstabbing here and there um you also collaborate with or you have collaborated with other brands such as Fisher and Paykel uh, All Clad and Melbourne Food and Wine how do you get how did you get them and why did you get them yeah, look, look to me, just just clients, and I'm in a fortunate position where I, where if if someone's interested and wanting to engage my services, I'll, I'll definitely collaborate with them. Um, so Fisher and Paykel, um, we had at Raw Materials, we had the kitchen fitted out by Fisher and Paykel. So I used to do a lot of their training with the likes of uh, ENS Trading, Harvey Norman, to bring their retailers down to show to bring a commercial lens onto the retail cooking experience. 
Um, and nice. I, we've got fish. I love fish and bagel. Yeah, look, it's, it's great, really great kit. Yeah. And the, the, you know what that opened for my mind is that um, the Fisher and Paykel team, the design team, are working sometimes a decade in advance on technologies that eventually filter down to us, the consumer. Fuck. So to be thinking about that and how much money and investment they put into their their research and development. Well, you know, the great thing for me was I turn up with fantastic pieces of kit and go, well, what are we going to do? What events do we want to pop up? And how do we have some fun and engage? So it tied back in with my um, corporate team building, my communication, um, cooking demonstrations. And this kind of market, you know, I think has opened up a lot more where, you know, suddenly you've got a, a, a cookware supplier or someone that's got crockery, cutlery, whatever it might be, they want to showcase a product. Well, you need some product to tie in. So then you might be doing some work with um, a poultry supplier or a beef supplier or a farmer. And you can tie together a couple of really nice things because food to me is the emotional link. Yeah. And then you start bringing um, a great collection of businesses together. And to me, you're having a bit more of a business conversation because you're talking, you're motivating sales team and you're empowering them to go out and send their messages to other people, which is going to translate into sales. And then how do you use them personally? Like, you know, you can use their brand and why, why would you use their brand personally? Does that make sense? If it, yeah, look, absolutely. If it's, if it's good product, it's good product. Yeah, yeah. Right? I guess it's like a chef saying to a chef in a kitchen, why do you use this particular brand of butter? Yeah. They go, well, I like it. I like the story. I've met the, I've met the farmers. I know how they make it. I've done the tour. I'm emotionally connected to the brand. That's what I like. And do you go to them and say, can I put you on my website or can I, can I use your brand? Or is it, is, it, is it some sort of oral communication to say that? Or is it just like, you know, we're representing these? How does it work? It's, there's no one set rule, right, okay. um, I think. Um, for me, it's all about the relationship and just letting it grow and develop. So I've not actually gone out to anyone and said, I see what you do and I think here's an opportunity. Yeah. Um, more often than not, I'll be at an event or doing something else and yeah. the conversation just starts up. And if you meet the right people at the right level, they might say, hey, Glenn, I really like what you're doing there. Um, can you come and have a chat with us about it? And let's just sit down and workshop some ideas. And that's where the innovation and the creative side of, of my mind kicks in. Yeah. And says, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm out in front of some people and if you want to provide some some equipment, then... I believe this will be a good message because Fisher and Pikeville is an example. You've got the um, you've got the hardware, but but they don't make pans. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, the collaboration comes through. Well, you need something great. So if you've got quality and they've got quality, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And then we put it together, and then the pan is nothing without the food to go in it. So all of a sudden, you can really cross pollinate a few different um, a few different brands, a few different operators, and bring it together. Do you think businesses should be looking to do more of this? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and and the good ones already do. And like going, physically going to a something that maybe they use a lot of or they're passionate about, and then they can go there and say, "Look, I'm using your stuff. Can we do some sort of co 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 promotion effectively?" Yeah, yeah. I look cross. Um, I guess uh, yeah, cross promotion um, is you know to be encouraged, and I, I think in. In industry, I know with hospitality and the food and wine festivals and different events um, that run, that happens very organically. You've got a winemaker there paired up with a chef. It just makes sense. Yeah. Um, to me, it absolutely does make sense. I don't know how you do it otherwise. Do you think people should go out themselves actively and go and approach suppliers or um, approach different people? Like, for instance, we, we work with Ian Curley. Mm-hmm. 
And he said, he, he actually said to me in a meeting the other week, you know, he said, well, so we, so I'll support you. You can use my, you know, because you support me. You can use my name when you put, I'll give you a recipe. If you want a recipe, because we're launching some new products. Yes. And um, in the meeting, he said, by all means, you can always get, use one of my recipes. Well, what he said was, write your recipe, let me have a look at it, and you can you put my name to it. That's what he said. That's the fucking truth. So, you know, that's a cross cross promotion he'll you know i'll give him a bit of a discount well, it's kind maybe of like or an endorsement right? yeah an endorsement yeah. exactly but, but he exactly. believes in the product he believes first in and foremost. exactly he uses the product yeah he yeah. uses the product and because he, he uses the product and he feels like that we do support him well and give him good deals and because he buys big volume like 900 portions yeah. do you know what i mean and different things like that and we always deliver on time short notice we're always there he tr- he believes in us that we if he puts his name to it he knows that we'll do that for other people. Do you know what I mean? So oh. he's prepared to do that. Or do you think other brands should be looking for the same kind of thing? Oh, it's just part of your marketing strategy, shouldn't it be? I think it's so. It's like, you know, how are we going to... It, it, we're all attacking the same consumer, the same customer, right? It's just how we choose to approach. Are we going to approach it together or are we going to work in silos and try and do it? Well, that's, that's, that's a lot harder. And if you want to grow your business and you want to collaborate uh, with like-minded people, then... By all means, have a have a good adult conversation and just lay it down. I mean, it's not about um, you know necessarily going uh, onto Instagram and picking up you know fifty thousand followers from overseas and going around asking for free stuff. Yeah. Um, in hospitality, generally, people want to be hospitable. It's in your blood, exactly. That's exactly. So look you want you. to give you for sure. Yeah. The, the chefs are the, they fucking work for free. So you know, they just love it, man. So the, yeah, exactly. I am. Um, I follow Joe Rogan quite uh, religiously, and I, there's a core, There's a few of them like Joe Rogan, uh, Brendan Sharp, uh, Brian Cowell. I think he's called uh, Bill Burr, uh, Tony Hinchcliffe. They're all comedians. Mm-hmm. You, some woman's a UFC fight, but effectively they're all comedians and they're always on each other's podcasts all the time. Like literally one a week, once a fortnight, one of them will be yeah. on the other ones or whatever. They're always promoting each other's show. They're always promoting different things about each other on each other's podcast, dropping their names subtly here and there. If you, because I listen to like three of them indi- individually as well, and I've, you know, and Joe Rogan and their separate podcasts. Through that, I've found yeah. them. They're always doing it to another. I think restaurants struggle with that with one another. I think you should have your core people that you that you knock about with your mates in sure. the in the industry. Get yourself a little club together and just all self promote. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Promote each other's book. Promote promote each other's restaurant. Support each other. I mean, constantly, not just now and again. Like, because if you've if one's got ten thousand followers, one's got fifteen thousand. There's going to be some of them that are the same. But if you just all humming them, I just feel like if you all hum together you'll create a better noise. Yeah, look, I mean, that's that's a, a great approach. And it's, I think from a business point of view, comes with a level, level of maturity mm. where you're comfortable and competent enough with what you do within yourself to then say, I'm so comfortable that I will support others and, you know, they're not a competitor to me. Yeah, they're yeah, actually yeah. actually embraceive. And like you bring the connective thread into this industry with all the chefs that you speak to on your podcast. Exactly. Is exactly. bringing it all together to go, well, we can impact an industry. We can change it. It's a shift, but it takes some pioneers to step forward, and that's what you're doing. That's that exactly that. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what exactly what you know. We're trying to bring people on that that not need the support, but just you know can give up different opportunities to people. I think you know. Yeah, exactly that. But I think if everyone jumped on that and just got yourself a little crew of ten or five and just all supported each other, I think you'll all see benefit from it. 
that's just my little bit of definitely my tip Love bit, it. my tip yeah. bit for the day. Wealth of knowledge. Yeah. What? Here we go. You're gonna have to help me out here. What is ta- tips? Tispa? Tipsy. Tipsy. What is tipsy? Tipsy. Tipsy is an online training platform. Right, okay. Um, the uh, the Tipsy team approached me some years ago, and they were just getting things moving in terms of um, moving away from traditional training face to face saying that, look, there's a real need for this online training. You can have it on your smartphone. New employees are starting. Here's an induction program. Um, and they approached me about bringing a chef voice because they were very focused for front of house training. Yeah. Because um, front of house customer service training, um, upselling, um, how to make the perfect, how to make the perfect pour and so forth was a lot more established. But, you know, the, 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 the gap there is around well, what are we doing for our chefs? And they'd approached me and, and said, look, Glenn, you know, if you were to do something with us in a food sense, what would it be? Um, I sat down and really looked at it and looked at the platform and thought, um, you know, what would have benefited me in my career is, is some, some leadership training in the kitchen. Because I think that as chefs that we just, uh, we find our way and then all of a sudden you're at the top of the tree and thinking, wow, like we said at the how beginning. did I get here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, so I put together a kitchen leadership program um, and they produced it really well. It's just short, bite-sized chunks, really easy to assimilate, um, just on messages, I guess my messages that I've distilled over the last 20 years to try and impact others in the in the marketplace. And uh, it's been really well received. Yeah, I think I've watched the video, well, not all of them, but I've watched clips of, of them all. And Excellent. Gary Megan, he endorses, endorses it? Is that what he, he's, he's, he's quite positive about it, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in it, you say react versus proactive what is it reactive versus proactive proactive yeah reactive versus proactive what do you mean by that well you know you can't always control what happens to you but you can control how you respond to it and in a leadership sense you know something might occur very quickly and you can have an off-the-cuff emotional response um let's use an analogy that um uh one of the apprentices you know burned a dish and it threw the whole table out of whack and you had to throw that away and start again. Now, that, that reaction in the moment um, can be really impactful to a young person because they go home thinking, you know, chef thinks I'm no good, you know, I really failed and, and they can beat themselves up about that. Um, so that's a, that's a reactive comment. Um, trying to be mo- more proactive about it, being proactive uh, against being reactive. I mean, in a leadership sense, um, to me, it's really around what are you doing to um, put systems in place for your business so you're more organized and working more strategically rather than being on the back foot all the time and responding and, and reacting to what's happening day to day yeah and the good operators are always looking forward i think there's quite a there's quite a bit to that i think proactive is is more of a leadership reactive is more of a of, of a the, the chef on the front line you could say management yeah really yeah so i always say to my guys react to the situation. It's one of my, the, the, if they listen to this, Tim and, and, and Wilson and Yoshin, that they'll be in Sarah, they'll all be laughing like fucking hell. So I always say react, react, react. It's one of the big things. Like, for instance, the, a, a simple ex- example would be, you use the last, the last bo- box of salt. Mm-hmm. So then for react, and eat water more salt. Simple reaction. Do you know what I mean? Um, you use you take the last beef filler out of the container. The rest are in the fridge. When you get, you've got to react. Bring them more to the front. Yeah. 
simple thing. Do you know what I mean? Just um, the centre feed runs out. Don't leave it. React and do something about it. So always reacting to every situation. The invoice then to, the invoice comes. The prices isn't right. Don't put it away and mm. go. Oh, I'll do that later. I'll tell. React to the situation instantly. Make it happen. This isn't right. This hasn't happened. Get straight on the phone. Make it happen. Just reacting constantly. So I love that. I love the the reacting thing. It's it's I think very uh, very kitchen centric because there's there's a, there's an action in reaction. So there's a movement that that sort of comes in. Yeah. And as you start thinking more strategically, there's the thought process that happens first before the reactive part of it. So there's a lot of different ways to, to, to spin that. But yeah, just a comment that I thought was was really good and, and worth unpacking in a bit more detail. Yeah, yeah. And this, the, when I say that about the reacting, that's all at a really like basic level. Mm. But then if you get that instilled in you to react to, to situations and not just I'll get to it later or rolling over and letting it happen or mm. whatever, if you get used to that reacting, 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 as you do get up the management high up the tier you'll also start reacting a lot quicker to everything. Do you know what I mean? And it's so, reaction and, and speed and time is so important, especially when you're on about numbers and, and reacting to, to situations. I think it's really important. I, 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 I like that. Yeah, critical thinking skills. Is that what it's called? Mm. Critical thinking skills. Is that what it's called, really? Teamwork. How do you build a great team? Great teams take a little bit of time. So there's that investment. You know, I mentioned before return on energy. Yeah. So the more you give to your team and the more you meet them where they're at, the better they'll be for you. Um, and what I mean by that is utilizing as a leader um, different levels of communication. So if you've got a sous chef, for example, someone that's a little bit higher up, you know that you can give them a fairly robust uh, direction and and they'll understand where you're coming from. But you can't use that same language with someone that's a commie chef or a demi chef because they're not, they're not groomed up. They don't have the same level of experience. So you might need to adjust your tone, um, adjust your approach and just nurture, especially in the early days, um, to get them fully onboarded. Once, I, th- I believe then once you have the, the trust and the rapport established with your team, you can do whatever you want with them. They will, they, will, they will respond to you as a leader and go wherever you need them to go. But you can't demand it. Respect has to be earned, not demanded. I also, do you think that um, you need to speak to everyone differently? Yeah, definitely. Because different people hear things differently. They have different perceptual filters. So, um, you know, as you're, you're, you think that you're giving out one message, it might be heard completely differently from the individual. Yeah, you know when people say, oh, my management style, you know, do you know, you hear that all the yeah, time. Oh, yeah. my management style is this, or my man, mm. I'm like, fuck, I, don't, I don't even know what that means, <laughs> to be honest. But I don't think, I don't look at it that way. I think of it as your management style should be how that, that employee's learning or understanding style is. Yeah, the communication how, style. Yeah. So like you're, you being the leader, this is how I do it. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. I think the, the best ones are the ones who go, this guy learns like this, this guy learns like this, this guy needs an arm around him, this guy needs a bit of fucking tough love. That's how, that's your management style is you're actually fluid. You don't have a style. Your style is how the other people will react to you and you work on that to get the best out of that person. And, and you know, saying from someone I know that you invest, you, you invest in your team. So you understand where they're coming from, but you've taken time and made a conscious decision to understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Um, that's really important. 
That's really important. It's just human at the end of the day. They're all, we're all humans. Definitely. So meeting someone at their particular level will allow you to get the best out of them. Yeah. Um, and it's not always about being firm. It's not always about being so nurturing. It's about the way you respond as a leader in the moment to get the best result right there, whether it be for the client, for them, for your business. Just thinking about all those things and having them front of mind as a leader. Yeah, definitely, definitely. How do you build a customer-centric culture? How do you build a customer Wow, Wow, that, that's a massive question. I don't know if we can fit all that in right now. But, um, but first and foremost is, is really identifying who is your customer. Yeah. You know, who is your, your favorite customer to deal with and unpacking their expectations, really understanding their wants and needs and then reverse engineering it back into the, back into the business. Because um, if you don't understand your customer's requirements, then you might be shooting down the wrong path, which is going to put you out of business really quickly. Yeah. I like, um, I like everyone in the team all pushing for the same thing understanding that, that everyone's pushing for the same thing as a strategy. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, um, we know what the final goal is. Like, for us, everyone knows that we want to create the best quality using the best ingredients yeah. and give the best service. We'll, we'll do anything. To, you know, we'll change the whole week around. If someone calls up on a Tuesday and says, I'm in the shit, I need something for Thursday – can you do it? We'll change change the whole week around to get that to that person. Even if not, even if they're a top client or not, it has mm. to be financially viable and there has to be decent. You know, I'm not going to just do it for anyone or whatever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But if we'll do as the best we can, and everyone knows, like you know, in the in the restaurant, you know, back in the day, and I was the worst for it as well. An order would come in at ten past ten. And you'd be like, "Fucking, it's closed." You know, you <laughs> yeah. all we've all done that. We've all done that. We don't like that. Isn't we don't have that attitude. And a lot of restaurants, Rockpool didn't have that attitude. But um, and, yeah, and we don't have that attitude at City Lado. It's like we will do everything we can. And if we can't do it, it means honestly, we really, we really can't mm, do it. We're mm. not doing it to just be awkward. I think that's a good way. To, so everyone knows that. Do you know what I mean? It, it sounds like that you've spent time thinking about the alignment of the team. And even beyond that is having the right, um, the right values for the business. So laying down a, a good strategic approach and saying, this is what we believe about ourselves and communicating that through to the team. And the good businesses all do it. They have a, a good fundamental um, uh, set of values that they can, they can pivot back around, whether that's quality, whether that's value, um, whether that's focusing on customer. Um, and if you don't have those pillars, then, it, then you, can, you can end up you know, a long way away from where you first started out. Definitely. And you also do a bit of um, keynote speaking. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that before we wrap this up. Um, How did you get into it? Uh, it it's um, through, through 15, um, there was a really great message around what we were doing for young people. Yeah. And, um, you know, have, being on, on the TV show as well just opened up some, some doors to um, corporates that wanted to know how are you doing this in a philanthropic sense? What is the message? What are the key fundamentals? So I just sort of got thrust into it really. All of a sudden there was a request to say, hey, can you come and speak to 300 TAFE teachers about what you're doing? And coming from a kitchen environment into that um, scared the absolute crap out of me. Yeah, for sure. And I thought, 
Yeah, that sounds like the right level of challenge. You know when you feel sick to the pit of your stomach? Yeah. Um, so don't overthink it. Sometimes you just throw yourself out there. And so I wrote a couple of notes on the back of a sticky note and just jumped up and spoke for about 15, 20 minutes about the program and what we thought and how we approached um, uh, you know, our food and our young people and our training. And yeah, that just opened some doorways into a little bit more. So I've done some great presentations over the duration and um, it's, uh, it's encouraging to to think that um, individuals would be happy to sit and listen to my journey and take their own little spin or own little bits of inspiration away from it. Um, I think it's just it's re- just really good leverage. So if I've got a message that people want to hear, then, you know, just share it. Yeah. Did you – are you now where you thought you would have been? Looking – like when you first started off your career, did you expect it to get where what, – doing what you're doing now? Or did you always expect just to be the chef and work in the restaurant or whatever? Didn't really overthink it too much, actually. Just one year um, at a time. Yeah, just, just, just fell into cooking, um, thought that um, – you know, this this is a great craft, something good to learn. You can um, travel the world and, and learn. Uh, I love snowboarding, so that was a, a vehicle to, you know, go travelling, snowboard, cook, learn. And, um, uh, you know, I, I thought, and I've just realised this recently, it was I started off being really passionate about food and, and what I've come to, to know right now is that I'm actually more passionate now about people yeah. and the food is just a language that I speak. But with the, the coaching and mentoring I do, I, I really thrive on seeing other people thrive. Listen, I couldn't think of a better way to end than that. That was fantastic. Glenn, thank you very much for your time. If anyone wants to find you, follow you, book you for keynotes, use you, how, 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 what's the best way to get uh, in jump, touch Jump on my website, www.glennflood.com um, or you know, LinkedIn or Instagram is a good way to go. Beautiful. Glenn, thank you very much for your time. Robbie, thank you. That's all, folks.